there's a feeling, the pulse of eternal knowledge. When you sense the oneness, you are with us. We brought life to earth. You can't see us, but we flourish all around you, everywhere. Oh, it says in progress now, instead of this meeting is being recorded. They've changed the message. I upgraded to the, uh, the, the new version of Zoom. Oh, so we could do a longer time recording. We could do as long as we want because there's only two of us. Right. But oh, no, have... I didn't upgrade to Pro. I just, I oh. just got the new version, that's all. Oh, okay, because when I, I did have the Pro for a while at the beginning of the pandemic because I was hosting um, some get-togethers with people at the temple on my Zoom because we could go for two, three hours if you pay for it. Anyway, um, good. Yes, yeah, so I did just, before we started rolling here, I was having a cough attack. I don't know why. <clears throat> and then I had to admit to you that, um, by the way, I'm jumping up. We have the video on. I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, oh. one. And episode 109. We are here with episode 109 of the Agency Podcast and Candy with No Pants. That's right. And we're using video because we don't usually because <clears throat> it seems to be, I thought it was, when we started, we were using Skype, but now we think we can use this and it won't crash. And well, uh, we can yes, at least we, look at each other and not talk over each other. Uh, yes. But, you know, the real reason why we, 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 didn't, we aren't doing that, uh, which Candy has conveniently forgotten, is because she, we, initially we were going to do some recorded and then we were going to yes. keep the recording so yes. people could see us talking because we thought people might like that. But not one person told us that they actually wanted that. So we abandoned that and plus, <laughs> plus, plus, uh, plus, Candy was concerned that she wouldn't, she would have to look her best on video. That's right, and I would want to do it's showtime, so I would want right. to have cool clothes on. Whereas I, I, I'm washing wear. I know I don't. <laughs> I, I put, I don't put a lot of time into um, my appearance, <laughs> but this may surprise some people. I do put some time into my appearance. <laughs> So yeah, I would like to have makeup on and good lighting and a uh, nice blouse or something or a shirt. Um, and this half the time, especially during, you know, before we got up and running was um, with a society going back to work. Well, I was in my pajamas or something while we did our podcast. I was right out of bed. And in fact, I slept. We were supposed to start recording about half an hour ago. I slept till about 10 minutes. And I happened to wake up. And I was like, oh, my God, Eugene's going to kill me. I just woke up. So thank you for adjusting and letting me. Fortunately, I'm not a murderous fellow. No, you're not. Thank so you. We, and, and we, after, after we recorded, um, or before we recorded, a, a contest of will, yes. um, because we had done a couple episodes in which cocktails were involved, we asked the question to our oh listeners whether they preferred the podcast with cocktails or with tea. Right. And we did receive one comment on Facebook that was just the word T, which we, we think was referring to that question. Well, it's funny because I noticed it around nine o'clock at night, this comment, we posted a picture of Dr. K, you and I at the pub. And underneath it, Adamandia said the word T. And I was like, wow, I mean, she really is an artist. Um, because I was so, it's like that joke, knock, knock, how many 
No, no, no. How many surrealists does it take to change a light bulb? A fish. Correct. So I thought, wow, what does that mean? And around two in the morning when I went to sleep or midnight, I was sleeping. And all of a sudden when I'm lying in bed, I went, oh, she's answering our question. What do you prefer? Booze or tea? However, and, uh, I was uh, starting to think, oh, well, no more cocktails for us. But then we got a, an email from another friend of the podcast, Vox, and referring to the, uh, the, the uh, podcast uh, from last week, uh, uh -huh. a contest of will in which, yes, alcohol was involved um, <laughs> for some of the participants. Um, I, did right. have one, I did have one beer, uh, yes. but I was the driver. Yes. So that's it. Yes. And um, uh, Vox says, quite possibly the finest podcast yet. I had a big smile on my face all the way through. Well, thank <laughs> you, great. Vox. Thanks, so Vox. it's tied. So it's, it's tied. tied. So I guess we'll continue. This morning I'm having coffee and a glass of water. So I guess we'll just see what And I'm having cranberry now. juice with, uh, with some soda water in it. Fantastic. I am completely crammed into my desk right now. I pulled out my camcorder yesterday. I pulled out all my tapes um, in an attempt to make a new trailer for my documentary and, and put pieces together and just see what things look like. So I'm completely surrounded. I need a bigger desk. I've got a folding TV table next to me holding stuff. And um, I don't know. I got pretty – I surprised myself. I just kind of thought, start looking at it. And I have a few ideas of how I want to put it together. So – that's what I'm doing, and I've got it on the desk, and maybe I'll just work on it for a week or two and see how it goes, in amongst other things. Well, you know, there's a law of the universe that that suggests that even if your desk was a TARDIS, that yes. that defied the laws of physics and was yes. infinite in size, it wouldn't be big enough. That's, <sighs> That's just the law. True. It's probably but, true. I mean, my desk, I just can't <laughs> stop filling it, and it's a long desk. I know so, you're. You know. I was thinking about your desk because I was like, I need Eugene's desk. And then I remembered, oh, my God, he has so much stuff on that desk. It's, it's full. Well, yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, I have a printer in another room. Otherwise, the printer would be here, but I put it in the other room. Since it's wireless, I just put it on an odd shelf by the front door, like a dead space in our apartment. I don't know if that's good feng shui to have a printer at your front door. Um, <laughs> I'll have to look up that up. But um, yeah, I just put it over there because we never use that space. So I have a shelf there where I put things where I don't know where to put them, but that are very useful. Um, so yeah, that's kind of cool. Uh, the other thing is, you know, um, I'm I'm back in I'm back in Chicago. I should uh, mention I'm not back in Chicago. Yes, I am back in Chicago. <laughs> I where are where you, I'm Candy? I'm in Chicago. I forgot where I was for a second. I'm back in Chicago. Came back a couple of days ago. Candy, yeah. if you were still here, you would be yeah. sitting beside me. I know, that's true. Maybe that's why I'm confused, because I'm looking at you, and it's sort of um, it's sort of uh, good to look at you. Are you looking at me, or are you looking at yourself? No, I'm looking at you. Oh, well, sometimes I was looking at myself. You have the agency, <laughs> our agency logo behind you through some magic. I know, it's superimposed behind there, and it's backwards, right? No, it's forwards. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. all right. Good. Oh, so it looks the same for you as it does for me. I'm so confused. <laughs> okay, so... I so, found out something interesting. And so I'm back at work and I was really worried. Am I going to be really burnt out? It was, in, it was not insane, insane. It was a steady, busy night. Um, my feet were killing me because I did work 10 hours. So by the end of the night, my feet were killing me. That was something I did notice adjusting. But oddly enough, when I was in Canada, I was in the world of action. 
I wasn't, you know, I think about the pandemic and all the hours and how much I've been really spending in front of the computer and the TV um, because of things not open or different lifestyle or something. And I was so busy in Canada all day long, swimming or camping or doing, you know, errands, driving lessons for my daughter that um, I feel pretty, feel pretty cool. TV looks like magic again to me. All right. <laughs> So I am back in Chicago. Are you sure? Yeah. To the okay. real world. Just before uh, you invited me onto the uh, onto the podcast to start yep. the podcast, um, the uh, the guy from the delivery machine came by, and uh, he with came the ordering with, machine from the ordering yes. machine. Well, yes, yeah. yes. I think it's it's duo machines. There's oh, the ordering delivery machine, and machine. The delivery machine. Oh yeah, and the delivery so machine. the delivery machine was here. Okay. And he came by with a book I had ordered ages ago, and it oh, wasn't geez. in stock. And I had forgot all about it, mm. um, but um, it's arrived today, and I wanted to mention it because maybe some of our listeners would like to read it, and oh. we could all talk about it together and have some okay. discussion. It's called "It's called Indians on Vacation" by Thomas King. Thomas King is uh, the, also the author of "The Inconvenient Indian" and "Green Grass Running Water." Um, I'll give you a little blurb um, from the back. Margaret Atwood wrote. Reading Thomas King's Indians on Vacation, great grumpy dialogue plus killer one-liners. Remind me not to Ill irritate him. <laughs> and the Toronto Star says, from the first page, King's sardonic and very funny voice leads us to places we never expect to go. European and in Indigenous history collide, and there's no one better to examine the aftermath. This sounds super interesting Yeah, that to me. does. I like the titles of his other books. Oh yeah, I yeah. I think this is going to be um, a super interesting book, and it's really timely, and uh, I think there'll be a lot to talk about. So I'm going to recommend that uh, you read this one. All right, I will I will go to the ordering machine and uh, or myopic books and or, or uh, the library or the library. I will do one of those things, and um, I think we need to figure out an order because I'm also getting the big picture, right? Yes, the big picture. I'd like by, to read by that Sean next. Carroll, which was. Uh, recommended by another of our listeners, uh, Megan. Um, so maybe that should be the next one. I think it should be the next one. And I'll text you as soon as I get a copy of it. Yes. I, the, I, I'll probably have a copy in a couple of the, days. The big picture is terrifying me a little bit. I haven't got past the uh, the title. Okay. Um, it's not terrifying me because it's 500 pages. It's terrifying <laughs> me because, you know, some books are ambitious and some books are really ambitious. Yes. And then there's a book about the origins of life, meaning, and the universe itself, which yeah, is this one. Right? That's pretty like, ambitious. Like, I'm going to say that Sean Carroll has bit off a good chunk in this, this crammed into 500 pages. I love it. You know, and there's not even pictures. I love it. You know, I, so can't, I can't wait to read that I, one. No. I'm looking forward to that one, too. I'm going to bring that one to Quetico. I may get a start on it before Quetico, and I'll, I'll bring that... Uh, uh, on, on my camping trip, which I want to say is in three weeks. And right now, um, there are fires burning in oh, Quetico. Oh, um, the, Northwest Ontario is under a fire ban. So um, unless it rains and they lift the fire ban, it means that we have to bring a gas stove with us. Yeah. And right now, the, there's a portion of the, the park by the border on the southern end um, which is closed to campers. They've gone in and booted all the campers out. And the, uh, the extent of the closure, it goes right up almost to a lake called Sturgeon Lake, which is 
the bottom lake or the southernmost lake of our loop. Mm -hmm. So if the fire situation gets worse and they close Sturgeon Lake, we're going to um, we're going to have to change our route. And um, today I went uh, online and I, I checked the uh, weather forecast. The, the the first thing it said was smoky. <laughs> The second thing it said was uh, chance of showers and thunderstorms all week. Okay. So I, I'm hoping that there will be lots of rain and no lightning, and mm -hmm. that'll take care of the fire situation. But, you know, um, we don't really know what's going to happen for sure. Okay. Well, you know, two things you've mentioned that I, I want to respond to. First is I was camping at Sturgeon Lake. Sturgeon Lake's a provincial park. A different we Sturgeon. Different oh, it Sturgeon is? Lake. You're kidding me. You're at Sturgeon Bay. Oh, is that Sturgeon Bay? I do this all Sturgeon the time. Bay. Sturgeon Bay. Sturgeon I almost... Lake is in Quetico, which is west of Thunder Bay. Right. Okay. My bad. I also put Sturgeon Lake into the GPS when I started driving there and fortunately caught that in time to not oh, go yes, all the way there. Because <laughs> it would have been a two-day drive for you to Correct. get to your camping trip. <laughs> and when you got there and realized it was the wrong Sturgeon Lake... <sighs> Boy, would, would that have taken the buzz off an otherwise good afternoon? Oh, yeah. It, I, every, I would have been in big trouble, for sure. You don't want to screw up with a kid in the car like that. Candy, how come we're driving so far? I know, I know. Are we there yet? No, not for another day. <laughs> um, the other thing was, okay, so listen, you said you might be reading a little bit. In, you'll do some reading now of the big picture, but you're taking it camping. So that means we could aim to discuss that book in September. Yes, and I think that if anyone is going to read along with us or read it and have it in there, that, that gives everybody a good yes. three so, weeks to uh, three and a half, four weeks to read it. So I think we should have a schedule. And after that, then we would tackle the Indian, uh, the uh, King yes, book, Indians the King vacation. book, Indians on Vacation yes. by King. So, okay. so let's look at September for the big picture for those who want to read yes. along with us. Yes. And Thomas King's Indians on Vacation for sometime in October. Okay, I love it. Now I feel like we've really got um, something going on here. That's exciting. Um, well, I'll be able to match up now again. And then the third thing I want to respond to you about is that you were talking about weather, is I'm reading these two books. One I'm just about finished about, um, the, the Science of Navigation. And I may have mentioned it when I was in um, Toronto, although maybe I didn't. And it's really good. I'll tell you, though, it's um, a lot of footnotes. He's taken on a lot of history of, um, to cover. It basically, the first half of the book is the history of, of how people navigated from, I think he's got Newton and Magellan and, uh, you know, Columbus in there. And then it moves into GPS and satellites. It's really good. I have another book by him uh, about weather. So I'm going to knock those two. I'll be finishing that GPS book this week, and then I'm reading a weather book, okay. which I... I can't remember what it's called. The History of Weather? The Science of Weather? And he's Mark. Oh, my God. What's his name? Oh, what a dope. Um, I don't even see it here good enough for me to even mention. I'll look for it, and um, while we carry on, I'll mention it okay. before the end of the well, podcast. Speaking of books, I just finished reading Nomadland, which oh, yeah. by, um, by Jessica Bruder, uh, which I read after seeing the film. And right. I wanted to talk about the differences between good. the two. good. Um, both are, I'm going to say, excellent. Uh, I would say that the the book is it's quite journalistic uh, in its approach, um, but uh, interestingly, the author is very much part of the book. 
Yeah, interesting. Um, How so? Yes. Well, she um, <laughs> she decides if she's going to learn about her subjects, she'd better hit the road. So she went and bought a van, and she started um, sleeping in her van and figuring out how to do a toilet and all of that sort of stuff. And she went to um, some of the rubber champ rendezvous and um, and started to get to know uh, some of these people who were traveling around America. Oh. And that was pretty interesting. Uh, she also got a job at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm going to say that's, that's critical of the film, mm -hmm. and it's probably the most critical thing about the film, is that the book, how, how should I put it? The book talks about the work experience of these itinerant workers in places like Amazon and in the beet harvest and um, numerous other places, uh, campground hosting, um, and talks about this workforce, which are largely senior citizens and how difficult it is. And in particular, it's pretty rough on, on Amazon. It really talks about how the pay is low and it's brutal work with long hours and people get injured and Amazon does not seem to be a really sympathetic employer, although no. they're quite happy to have this work camper program in which they actively recruit these American nomads to come for seasonal work in you know, October, November, December for the, uh, the holiday gift-giving madness and the, um, the Black Friday and Cyber Monday and all of, all of that sort of uh, stuff. And, um, and it talks in some detail about, about working there. You know, it's a place where um, around the warehouse, they have dispensers for generic pain medication. Right. That says a lot about the work that um, that you're involved with. So the the um, the movie really the movie took a fictional character played by a great actor and surrounded the fictional character with real characters played by the actual people, mm. um, which was pretty interesting and very compelling, you know. Uh, I think that one of the th things that made the movie really compelling and interesting was that you could really empathize um, with um, with the character of Fern, the fictional okay. character, uh -huh. um, and in part because it was just so beautifully played by Frances McDormand, right. who is really brilliant. Yeah. Um, the the book really deals with the interactions between Jessica Bruder and and various people she meets along the way and um, her interviews. And it's it much, it doesn't so much follow one person, but it follows to some degree one person, someone named Linda, uh, who um, uh, she follows around. And Linda's a character who wants to build an earth ship. It's her goal oh, and she's right, in her right. 60s. And in the book, the book makes it really clear. It's about a group of people who are forced onto the road by economic displacement and disenfranchisement, yeah. right? Right. Capitalism is broken and it's 
it's the end of the empire and these people are hitting the road and they're trying to find a way. They're like the new hunter gatherers trying to find, uh, find a way through and find a community in doing that. And that story wasn't so starkly put and really the politics were stripped out of it. The criticism of Amazon was stripped out of it in the movie. Um, but on the other hand, the movie was very compelling because it really, um, it really brought you into the world of these characters in, a, in a, an interesting way. Yeah. Uh, one of the other ways in which uh, you see Jessica Bruder in, involved in the story is that she applies for a job way in advance for seasonal work at Amazon. Mm -hmm. And then while she's out on the road, what does she do? One night she cleans up and goes to a motel. And <laughs> what does she do in the motel? She smokes a joint. And then realizes, oh no, there's a drug test for Amazon. But the drug test was supposed to be a non-urine drug test. And uh, weed is apparently lasts in the system for only a few days. And she right. thought she'd be fine. Right. And then she found out that they were going to drug test her locally near where she was. And she had to give a urine sample. Oh boy. And what she ended up doing was <laughs> borrowing some urine from, from a friend. Yep. Um, and I imagine that happens a tremendous amount. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was fairly brave of her to to talk about that and say yes. what she did um, in order to get that work, which she just finally walked out on. Um, it was it was pretty brutal, and she finally realized I don't have to do this. Right. But the people she was writing about do. Right. Right. And um, it's decriminalized, and there shouldn't be drug testing for marijuana. And uh, certainly anyone in prison should not be in prison anymore for pot. Oh, yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to address, I, um, you mentioned Earthship, and I just thought I would read out what an Earthship is in case someone doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, an Earthship is a type of passive solar earth shelter that is made of both natural and uncycled materials such as earth pack tires, pioneered by architect Michael Reynolds. Uh, the energy is thermal, thermal and solar heating and cooling. There's garbage management, so reuse and recycling built into construction and daily living. The sewage treatment is self-contained sewage and water recycling, uh, building with natural and recycled materials, water harvesting and long-term storage, in-home organic food production capabilities. Those are some of the yes. aspects and, of an earthship, and they look um, cool. Yes, and there was a very, very famous individual who owned an earthship and was really... a. He was really an advocate for Earthships in his in his later years, and that is the actor who played McLeod, Dennis Weaver. Oh, that makes so much sense. He made an Earthship in in New Mexico, I believe. Well, and this, I, yeah. I think I we'll have to see, but I think if we go to the YouTube, yeah. Um, yeah. there's there's you can have a YouTube tour of Dennis Weaver's Too uh, Earthship. Too cool. You know, next time I'm there, I'm going to go visit it. I bet it's in Taos, where he had his... He was from Taos' character on McLeod. Yes, his character was, for sure. And I don't know too much about it, but I have seen pictures and videos of his Earthship. I think right. I saw a video once with him walking around the Earthship, pointing out different features of it. That's cool. Um, and the, the architect, Michael Reynolds, is also based in New Mexico. It all makes sense when you think about it. If you go to New Mexico, it's a very magical place. And, and one of the reasons why Earthships are located there is they yeah. have really, really slack building codes. Yes. 
uh, same as Austin, Texas. Yes. Now there's good reasons. Austin, Texas and, and Houston, Texas show us why it's good to have building codes. Those nasty floods oh. that, that were so devastating in, in Houston had a lot to do with building where people should not have been building. Yes, and right. taking down plants that were protecting the shoreline and the main mainland. That's right. By and, and so they're they're paying walking. they're paying for no paying building for that, codes yes. now. And there's uh, some argument that fracking has something to do with that. They they um, oil oil tankers under the ocean may have something to do with weather too. So New Mexico and Arizona yeah. attract uh, <laughs> the nomads because there's a lot of federal land that they can just plunk themselves mm -hmm. down on in the desert, mm -hmm. in which they don't have to worry so much about winter. Right. Which is a really uh, good thing if you're living in a van. Right. Taos can get some crazy snow, but in general, I, I would say New Mexico is fairly temperate. It is. You can wear sweater weather in February. Yeah. yeah. Most of the most of most the time. Most of it. And Arizona, yeah, most of the time. Yeah, I think that Nevada as well. Yeah. I mean when I when I visited um, Las Vegas, it was freaking cold. Uh, was that your wedding? That was our that? wedding, yeah. and that's when that our wedding is when we went to the Hard Rock, and we wanted to go swimming. And the Hard Rock said you could if they had an open day where any we didn't have to stay at the hotel to go swimming. And oddly, it was before Stag worked at the Hard Rock, and so we go there and, and um, we see these cabanas, and it was freezing. And they said, "Well, you know, there's no swimming today. I mean, the pool's open, but you can't swim. There's weather." They don't say bad weather, good weather. They just call they it weather, weather when it's bad. Yeah, there's weather. And we saw the lifeguards, and they had, like, towels over their heads and shoulders. And I said, oh, we don't mind if it's cold. We're, we're from Canada. And they rolled their eyes like, damn it, we're going to have to work with this bunch. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and then that's when we saw there was a cabana. And just for shits and giggles, I said, hey, how much is a cabana? Oh, it's three fifty. And we were like, oh. And they said, well, that you take off your food and water. We, if, if whatever food and drinks you order comes off the three fifty. And Scott and I looked at each other and went, yeah, we'll take one. <laughs> <laughs> we knew we would cover three fifty. There was like oh eight of us. There's six or eight of us. We That's not that three dollars and fifty cents you're talking about, no, is it? No, I didn't think no, so. No, but by the time we had burgers and French fries and some beer, it added up. And that's also when. Um, Oh God! So there was this hot tub. So we're, we the th few of us, Jill and Tiff and I, we go down this water slide, right? And there's this these guys in the hot tub. So we go up to the hot tub. This was actually just a comedy of errors being at the Hard Rock, because um, we go up to the uh, the hot tub and the guys are going, "Hey, hi, can we can we get in?" And they go, "Oh sure, we've been peeing in it. It's nice and warm for you." And I said, "That's okay. I've got my period." And they were like, okay, high five, you got us good. <laughs> and then we also had to go to the washroom, and um, Pink's husband, Hart, who I, I, uh, I follow him on Instagram all the time, he was having a fundraiser at the back room of, of Hard Rock, and we had, that we had to walk through this biker show in our bathing suits um, to use the washroom. And the guy at the door said, oh, work it, ladies, work it, work it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think behind me I could I hate you mom I hate you <laughs> and we're like Jill gave her best strut <laughs> just crazy time at Hard Rock Hard Rock Las Vegas is a lot of fun which reminds today, me I wanted to plug a few places go oh yeah ahead. plug, you, plug, go, away, go plug ahead. away you start you start okay. you start all right today on the comfort food diner yeah this is an opportunity to talk about the ultimate comfort food for me oh good 
And why? It's because it's the beginning of August. And what happens at the beginning of August? Tomatoes. Uh, kind of, oh, tomatoes. Homegrown tomatoes. Yum. We're we're getting about three good tomatoes a day right now. Um, just enough to keep us in tomato sandwiches. It's nice to have a number of different varieties so they ripen at different times. Mm. Um, and really, for me, the ultimate comfort food is a tomato sandwich. I love a tomato sandwich. I don't even have to have the bacon on it. I know. like the Well, the bacon just adds to adds. it. Adds, yeah. But you, you can have me... You know, today's tomato sandwich had some really good salami that you brought over here when you were oh, here. Oh, yeah. Trader it was really Joe's. awesome salami, and it had some <laughs> cheese, and it had too much mayo, and it had some mustard slathered all over it, um, and some salted pepper on the on the tomatoes, and the tomatoes were peak ripeness. It was so good. But, you know, even just pure tomato sandwich, mayo, salt, pepper, on, say, toasted right. rye bread, it doesn't get much better than that. Right. I think I don't know if it's a law that says you have to have too much mayo on your you do. sandwich. I think it but is if a law. it isn't a law, it's certainly strongly suggested, right? If you know, if you didn't have too much mayo, someone might come along and say, mm -hmm, "Excuse me, you should be adding <laughs> more mayo to that." I love like strong onions and tomatoes. And oh, mayo. onions oh. too! Oh my so, god! So um, our question to our listeners is, how do you like your tomato sammies? Yeah, I love it. Um, I've been having tomato sandwiches for lunch just about every day. And, you know, one of the reasons why I love it so much, and it's so much comfort food to me, is that when I was growing up, my father grew a lot of tomato plants. And this time of year, our house was just filled with tomatoes everywhere. He grew like four times more tomato plants than me, mm -hmm. and I grow way too many. Uh, there was always a ton of tomatoes and he would always make me when I was a little boy, he would make me tomato sandwiches. Oh, I love and that. so it's a really special memory for me. You know, really that's the gifts my father gave to me, tomato sandwiches and the love of gardening and tomato sandwiches and the love of nature. I remember like it was yesterday, the first time he took just me to a trout stream. Oh my we God. went to a trout stream. It was North of Sundridge, Ontario he just said, son, I know a little stream. We're going to try it. And he had bought me my first rod and reel that was mine. And it wasn't like using mm. someone else's. And I was just a little kid. And we went to this trout stream and I got a trout. And this trout, oh. in my mind, in my mind, this trout was huge. It was just <laughs> enormous. Now, many, many years later, I went back to try to find that stream. No. I love it. I tried to figure out where he would have taken us and what I remember hearing. And I found what I believe to be the stream. And I went to look at it. And first of all, it was a beautiful little trout stream. Second of all, it was small. Mm. And in a stream like this, if you got a 10 or 11 inch trout, it would be a monster. And more than likely, you would get a seven or eight inch trout. And I realized that my first trout when I was a little kid was probably about a seven or eight inch brook trout. Sure. But to me, it was so big because it wasn't just the trout and the fishing. It was being out with my dad and growing up, coming of age, yep. and, and being <laughs> able to, to be a big boy and go and, and yes. fish for trout just like dad, right? Beautiful. And so those were important things to me. And like the, the gift of loving nature was mm -hmm. one that um, that's been lifelong for me that, yeah. that my father gave me. And um, I'm very grateful uh, for that. My father, by the way, was an unrepentant bank napping bait plonker. 
Oh, well, I think this is a theme because we mentioned him napping in the past, last episode. That's right. What he, <laughs> what he liked to do was he, he, he would fish with worms and he would get a big <laughs> dewworm and he used light line and a spinning rod and he would use no weight and he would just impale this worm onto a hook once and mm. he would drift it under log jams. And then he would drift under the log jam and he would fall asleep. And nine times out of 10, he would wake up when a trout was pulling at his, at his rod from mm. under the, uh, the log jam. And in small Ontario trout streams, one of the things that happens in log jams is those are the bomb shelters where the big guys hide. And so I remember once I was a kid and my dad took me to a spot on the Credit River um, where he said, you know, son, there's some, there's some big trout in here. And he did his usual routine. He lay down on the bank. He cast his line in the water, just a worm, drifted it under the log jam, fell asleep, and he got a five-pound brown trout, which I netted for him. I mean, it was in a stream oh, like this. It was beautiful. so huge. It was such a <laughs> crazy event for us. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, sometimes I still do some fishing. I yeah. mostly fly fishing. Um, although in Quetico, I may do a little bit of spin fishing too. But I often ask myself, why do I do this silly activity? <laughs> you know, I don't even typically, if I catch trout, I just catch them and release them. I use, right. I use barbless hooks. I ask, why do I do this? Um, and I think why I do it is because every time I step onto a trout stream, it brings back to me the joy of my youth being out with my dad on trout oh. streams. Uh, after those big ones under the log jams. Right. Well, uh, you know, you. I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if anybody knows this, but you know, I have a fishing, fishing past myself. My grandmother had a place called on Lake Malachi, near Kenora, between Winnipeg and Kenora, I guess, which we could only get there by train. I've mentioned that in the past, and um, she was an avid fisher. So we would, you know, get up either very early or late at night, but we did it from the boat. She had a boat. And we'd go out on the boat and catch mackerel or bass. I did not like bass. Mackerel. Not mackerel. Not mackerel. mackerel or saltwater. Oh, you're So it must be pickerel. It pickerel. Would be, I meant pickerel. Which, for our American <laughs> listeners. similar. For our American listeners, people in yeah. Ontario call walleyes pickerel. Oh. For okay. everyone in America, a pickerel is like a small grass pike. There you go. Um, but in pike, Ontario, yeah, more than pike, yeah. but in Ontario, a pickerel is is what Americans would call a walleye. Okay. So now there's more people in Ontario call walleyes walleyes now, but there's still a lot of us who call them pickerel. And yeah, pickerel. in fact, in or mackerel, if you will, I I call pickerel <laughs> mackerel. You can call them mackerel <laughs> if you want. In Quetico, where uh, East Texas Ren and I are going, um, one of the lakes that we're going to paddle through part of is called pickerel lake named after the the walleye <laughs> depending <laughs> but we're are. not i don't believe we're going to mackerel lake mm. we mm. will be going to sturgeon lake which is not the same as sturgeon bay right my grandmother had um quite a reputation um and for many things probably for loving barbiturates and uh CC, you know, Ryan seven or something, but she also had a nap. Ryan seven and a couple of downers, huh? Yeah, and a couple of downers. <laughs> <laughs> and cribbage. She taught my sister and I to play cribbage. So that's what we did. And from a pretty young age, because we'd be with her all the time. So I guess she wanted us to get our shit together and play cards with her. 
and uh, pass the time. But uh, she had a knack for taking out fish hooks. And there were always, there was always somebody who got a fish hook every summer caught in their face or their arm Ooh. or something. Yeah, terrible. I guess beginners or something. So she'd be cutting those out. It was just not uncommon for someone to hit the dock and help, help. Wow. I've been hooked with a fish hook. It isn't pleasant. No, it's awful, right? Yeah. Yes, it's yeah, very awful. Too. Fortunately, my grandmother could get it out of me. But you only really want to do that once, <laughs> if at all. Um, oh, I want to. I, I looked up um, my guide that I'm reading. His "The Science of Navigation" by Mark Denny, and he also wrote "Making Sense of Weather and Climate." And um, he's quite an, a good writer. It I bet is, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's probably a little, you know dry but there's something he has an energy that i really enjoy and it's a lot of work though because then you've got to go catch up and read these footnotes so it's one of these books where you're reading the main text kill me kill they kill me i know and it's all footnotes and i mean i theoretically i really enjoy them i'm also obsessed with an index i freaking love indexes I, I often look at the back of nonfictions to see how good their index is so but when I there's just, a, when there's a lot of footnotes i try to tell myself they're footnotes because you don't have to read them. You don't have to read them. You no, don't no, have and, to read them. But if the footnotes are there, do you think I could not read them? Do you think I can <laughs> let a footnote go unread? <laughs> no, probably no, not. no, I cannot because there might be that little tiny geeky bit of information that I need in that footnote. Absolutely. Well, I think footnotes, appendices. How do you say that? Now I don't. I'm going to fuck up that word too. Appendix, appendices, as opposed appendices. to appendixes appendices and indexes are so amazing i'm obsessed with them okay so mark denny was born in yorkshire england in 1953 so i'm, I'm into this guy too so i just want to mention it because okay. I, I find him intriguing because when he comes through the text i'm like oh my god there he is <laughs> he obtained a phd in theoretical physics from edinburgh university scotland and spent 20 years working as a radar and sonar systems engineer in the aerospace industry he began writing popular science books in 2005. Quote, I was emailed one day out of the blue by the editor-in-chief at John Hopkins University Press who had read some of my papers and who thought they would make an interesting popular science book. I haven't looked back. Explaining science in a way that non-scientists can appreciate is what I do. Quote, unquote. That sounds interesting. Mark, yeah, Mark lives on Vancouver Island with his wife, Jane, and spends his time writing, birding, and homebrewing beer. More Sounds details. like my kind of guy. I know, exactly. So I'm like, oh my God, I just love this guy. I feel like I know him. And, and like I say, when he comes through in the book, it's a real thrill. He doesn't play <laughs> fiddle too, does he? Uh, uh, no, wouldn't that be funny? That'd be hilarious. Um, oh, I wanted to do my shout out to some, a couple of restaurants okay. that uh, I, I checked out in Toronto. Um, I brought you a cinnamon roll and that was Oh from, my God. Right. Wasn't it the greatest cinnamon roll? I took a picture of it. I will share it on Facebook. <laughs> I was waiting until we oh, had this time to talk about it. It was the butteriest cinnamon oh, roll I've ever had. So it must good. have been mostly butter. I don't know no. how it held together. It was so buttery. No, it was so buttery, and the texture was amazing. And I did not realize that I had had it before when I was in Toronto in, um, in the winter. We had come across this bakery and so uh, at the Cobblers. So when I returned to the Cobblers to do another errand there, and I should shout out that cobbler, except I forgot her name, but she's really good too. Um, I, we know, Sagan and I noticed this bakery and we're like, we were too early, so we got treats. Um, it's called the Sam James Coffee Bar. It's at 6 Brock Street in Parkdale. Would you call that? 
Yep, you would yep. call it Briarcliff. And I would yeah. recommend that would be just are, above Queen Street. I think. Yeah, yeah, you could. It's it's a it's a half a block from Queen Street. I highly recommend. They have all kinds of good things. But the other interesting part was that this was made with what's that flower called? Spelt. Spelt. Yeah. And um, I, if you told when I saw it later, I'd already eaten them, so I knew they were amazing. Later, I noticed it was spelt, and I couldn't believe it because it I didn't was, seem like they, no. like spelt. I mean, it, spelt is good in things. I like yeah. a certain amount of spelted bread. It gives it a really nice kind of chew. Mm. But um, I would have thought that spelt in something as delicate as a cinnamon yes. roll just wouldn't work. Right, and but, it does. Uh, but these were super yummy. I have oh, to yeah. say, this baker is a witch. And oh, their their croissants are really good too because it's hard to find a good croissant and they're amazing. So I want you to, if anybody's in Toronto and you're looking for a new place, check out Sam James Coffee Bar. It's probably been there forever, but they've made it through the um, the, the uh, pandemic. The other thing that I want to shout out is a vegetarian sandwich slash burger at Completo, Five Cody Avenue. At um, is their pickup. They also have a sit down restaurant at three thirty seven Broadview. This vegetarian sandwich was so flippin' amazing that I'm mad I didn't buy 10 of them and bring them home or something. They're so delicious, I want to eat one right now. And wow. I hope you and Sheila get a chance to check them out. Uh, Leslie Jones Restaurant, uh, we had their risotto. And I've tasted, I've tasted a piece of, a, I think it was a roast or something. Anyway, I highly recommend them. They've got some great wine there, a good variety of delicious wine. And they're at 1182 Queen Street East. In Toronto. And in Toronto, and then again in Toronto, Murphy's Law, where we um, recorded our podcast last yeah, week. Yeah, nice people there. Nice Even people. though they kicked us out of the pub. Even though they kicked us out of the pub. 1702 Queen Street East, I want to recommend them too. Uh, they've got a huge patio. It's very safe, and they're vigilant, and they've got great burgers. Yes, the, the patio is expansive, and they've it spread it out into a parking lot. So there's lots of places where you can sit to be away from other peeps. Right, yeah. Which definitely. is really thoughtful, I thought. Very thoughtful. Um, yeah. Um, what else? Oh, you well, know, Stag and I, go ahead. I, I wanted to talk about, yeah. uh, just a little oddball, a little oddball thing that, that, that came up. Uh, it's a fiddle hack. Oh, what cool. is a fiddle, a fiddle hack you ask? Yeah, I do. Well, what is a fiddle uh, hack? Well, I have, you know, I have two fiddles. I have the fiddle, which belonged to my brother. <laughs> and this was given to my brother by our grandpa when my brother was, I don't know, six or seven years old. And he gave one to my brother and one to my cousin, Jimmy, and sent them off to go learn to play. And mom sent my brother off to, to violin lessons, mm -hmm. um, where his teacher was a sadist who whacked <laughs> him on the hands with a ruler every time he made mistakes. Oh, no. Well, you could see how that nurtured a lifetime love of music. Right. Well, he put the fiddle in, in the case and left it there for the next 60 years. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of years ago, he decided he was, he was downsizing all his stuff and he was going to get rid of this fiddle. And I said, don't do that. It's the family fiddle. Right. Um, let's see if it's playable. Right. So my brother took it to a place up in Shelburne and we got a little bit of work done to it, a new tailpiece and... Um, got it cleaned up a little bit, whatever it needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and it got, it was good enough to get me started learning the fiddle on my own, oh. but it's rough. It's, it's a, what fiddle players might call a shrieker or a screamer <laughs> in that it has a very loud high end. That's quite, um, it's quite grating. It does not, it has no sweetness in, in its tone at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. And so 
as I started to learn to play and I progressed a little bit, I, um, oh, your video has gone off, Candy. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Okay, I'm there so you sorry. are. Candy's back. I'm so sorry. Sorry. Uh, so, uh, um, <laughs> so I, uh, I, once I got good enough to, to, to realize that, oh, this fiddle is actually pretty rough, uh, I, I uh, got myself last year uh, sort of a combination Christmas and birthday present to okay. myself, okay. or Sheila got for me, uh, uh -huh. and that is, uh, that is a, a new old fiddle, which is a, a, French, a French fiddle from the, uh, the late 1800s that has been um, uh, refurbished. Uh, it's been refinished and it has new tailpiece and uh, a new fingerboard and new pegs. Uh, and it sounds really lovely. It's a lovely fiddle. So I haven't been playing the family fiddle much at all. But, you know, I, I thought I would Google around and, and see if there's anything you could do to sweeten up the sound of a violin short of spending a ton of money on it. Mm -hmm. And I found on some forum, some guy offhandedly said, attach something to the bridge. <laughs> okay. And he said he uses paper clips, but you could use a wooden clothes peg. You could use almost anything, wrap oh. a piece of wire. Uh, so I, I What's put, it doing? well, um, what it does is it, it filters, the bridge is like a filter. And by adding to the bridge, it increases the filter. So if you added enough stuff to the bridge, it would become <laughs> a mute. Okay. So in fact, there are items you could put over the bridge to mute the sound of your fiddle and take yeah. it right down. Um, but I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to take that rough edge off the fiddle. So I put this, um, I, I put this paper clip on and I discovered that if I have the paper clip near the top of the bridge, it, um, it mutes it quite a bit. But if I put the paper clip at the bottom of the bridge on the treble side, it just takes those rough edges and makes them go away. And suddenly I have a fiddle with a, a paper clip on it that sounds, well, not as nice, I suppose, as my, as my lovely French fiddle. It sounds quite playable, quite, quite pleasant. And it, that, that uh, violin is going to get a lot more use around here now. So uh, thank you to the person out there with their fiddle hack. I think it's... Yeah, uh, I love it. Uh, a nice little trick you could do to sweeten up the sound of uh, of a fiddle that's not so great. Cool. You know hey, what? Both of, both of us watched a, a movie this week. Same movie. Oh yeah. Fantastic fungi. Oh my god, I love that movie. Documentary by Louis Schwartzberg. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it features Thanks. Paul Stamets. Paul Stamets, yep. yep. How Mushrooms Will Save the World TED Talk many years ago. Oh, five, uh, yes, and the ago. book and the whole industry around it. Mm -hmm. um, so he's a really compelling interview. Oh, God, he is. Um, but I'm just going to say one thing. Because okay. when, you, when you watch this, mm -hmm. um, you leave this thing thinking, oh, mushrooms will save the world. It will filter out all the pollution that we put into the environment. Um, the psychedelics will fix us up psychologically uh, the turkey tails will cure all the cancer in the world and by the time you finish reading this book if you just listen to the narrator of this book talking about how wonderful mushrooms really are you'll think that they are the miracle cure for everything and maybe they are well I, I, grew up, I grew up believing that so for me uh it's a belief system for me 
I am only going to say one thing. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, as compelling as he is and as interesting as he is, mm -hmm. uh, Paul Stamets is in the business of supplying mushrooms. Supplying sure. Okay. And so yeah, it's, I agree. You, you I understand have, what you're saying. So you just have to remember that the guy who's telling you that mushrooms are going to save the world mm -hmm. is in the business mm -hmm. of promoting and selling mushroom products. Right. So, and that candy minx, God damn it. She's always talking about art and how much she loves painting and she makes these paintings and she thinks that we should buy art. She wants us all to go out and buy art. We got to remember that woman is, uh, she's, that's she a actually point. makes That's artwork. a fair point. <laughs> it's a, all I'm saying is that you just have to be aware that as well-known as he is and as colorful as his language is, mm -hmm. he is in that business. Right. And, and I'm not saying that that, that, that um, throws doubt on what he's saying, but it does remind us that all, all the stuff they talk about in the film, and, you know, I want, to, I want to believe all of this stuff. I love mushrooms, and I find them completely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that more research has to be done in, into how to correctly use or um, positively use psychedelics to help people who have uh, all sorts of mental disorders. It's clear there's a stuff people from a study in the book um, who talk about the wonderful effects it's had on you them. mean in the movie i mean in the movie yes thank you yeah because there is the book how to change your mind by michael pollan and yes. he's featured he's, in that he book. is also featured in here and it and, and and this movie actually has probably about six different things that are in that book the book is obviously a lot more um broad and it goes into a lot more of the science but this movie is really almost like a compendium to that book. It's like an introduction. Yes. Um, but the. So you're the saying it's far I, too positive and enthusiastic. No, I'm not saying oh. it's too oh. positive and enthusiastic. I'm saying that um, it's it's makes sweeping claims with <laughs> anecdotal proofs. Okay, now we have a conversation, Eugene. Interesting. So, um, okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna deal with. Do you want to carry on? Yes. Because I got something to respond. Okay. okay go ahead. So. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to say that the sweeping claims that it makes aren't correct. They may well be, but right. the proofs that the movie uses mm -hmm. are, um, are by and large anecdotal. Um, like Stamets talking about, oh, turkey tails cured my, my grandma's mm -hmm. cancer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, and it, I, I would like to, I, what I would have liked to see is that the narrator who knew everything in, in this movie, I would like to have heard her say, and in the double blind study conducted by scientists, uh, Joe Schmo and Joe Blow and their, their team of crack scientists, this is what they did. This is how they set up the double blind study. And here are the proofs that came out of that. But I'm not getting that from here. I'm getting the suggestion that all of these things could be so. And I was really interested in that. I'm positive about that. But I, it didn't escape me that there was a lot of anecdotal. And I, I should say, mushroom people are tremendously enthusiastic. Once you go down that mushroom mm -hmm. wormhole, mm -hmm. I tell you, you get really I know because I've, I have been there. I am a, 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 a mushroomaholic too. Right. Okay. I guess we're, uh, I'm going to tell you where I come from. Okay. Uh, where my situation on it two or three facets here. First of all, for millions, hundreds of thousands of years, we've already studied this. There are experts. I would call it expert too. People in indigenous communities that use mushrooms for healing. I don't call a scientist um, 
uh, the expert in this situation. That's the expert that convinces people in Europe and North America to believe something that every in the dominant totalitarian agriculture, to oh, they only believe scientists, they only believe so-called experts. They sure, but we, we didn't get that in the film either. Right, but the, I, I'm just answering the anecdotal comment because I remember one time in an argument online with um, a bunch of my friends, one of them being Steve, who's in Iowa, and I said something about that's anecdotal. And this is probably about 20 years ago. And he said, you know, Ken, if we don't have anecdotal, we don't have much to stand on. Anecdotal is how we discuss things, and it is how we share information. But, but it's also, anecdotal is what also leads to um, uh, the anti-vaxxers. Sure, I, I agree. This is a problem with um, the fact that we're worried about people spreading misinformation there, yeah, but it is there's lots of good things about 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 science and it's not a bad thing to say that well if we're going to say that that this this has a healing effect that we do some studies to find out what what's happening there how is well, it healing there's Let's been decades there's decades and and many of those decades were in canada and regina of research about um lsd and psychedelic um plant plants um, curing alcohols at least for a year or two. That's already been studied. What so we know, is, yes, we know there's been some research, but but watching the movie without the background in that research, what I know is that research was curtailed. Early research was curtailed for 20 years. And right. now it's beginning. Out of, 100, out of hundreds of years. But the movie right. doesn't say that. The movie does not say there's been hundreds of years of of research. It does not say that. It says we don't have enough research. Well, right, because they want more funding because people will not believe it in North America unless a scientist tells us. People just don't believe it. And even then we've seen that they don't believe it. They only want to believe um, what, they've, what they've read. And, and I think part of the issue is that we have this idea of who an expert is, who knows something, and whether something's reliable or not. Um, I've, I've taken all kinds of food compounds recommended to me by herbalists to help things. Um, and and there is a, a feeling of, I, I'm sure for a lot of people, about whether or not to believe it, whether a shaman can help heal you or not. And I think that what we find is that it comes to a point where people are absolutely at the end of their road and desperate, and then they become open-minded. And that's why it's fascinating to me, the terminally ill cancer patients that have been studied also for a very long time, at least 20 years, at least 20 years. But we've got, we've got records of it and oral histories going back hundreds and hundreds of years of the medicinal power of mushrooms and um, psychedelics. There's all sure, kinds and, and of- We also have all, all kinds of anecdotal examples of cancer patients who, um, who spend tremendous amounts of money on their last days um, going to Mexico to buy some kind of quackery um, Maybe. In or because they're desperate. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I don't think that's a problem. I guess where I sit is that there, there's no problem to me in that. They went to Mexico. It was beautiful. They had, a, they had some healing and they gave themselves some caregiving that they did not feel that they were getting from regular um, North American medicine. And um, I don't think there's a problem. Uh, I think what the problem is, is, is using the word anecdotal as a dismissive word. It's actually a powerful word. And in the, in the format that we're talking, it sounds dismissive. And I don't think anecdotal 
um, I, I don't think, I don't things. think I meant it to be dismissive exactly. Yes. Right. But what I did mean is that by presenting nothing but anecdotal, um, without any without any science or without even a great deal of anecdotal. Like for instance, here are 14,952 cases in which grandmas were cured of cancer, right? We don't, we don't right. even get like a statistical analysis. Sure. We, don't, we don't even get um, an interview with a shaman who has been healing people for many, many years. Okay. We don't get any of that. What we do get instead, well, we hear, and it's, it, this is really my criticism of the film, well, we hear how mushrooms will do everything and save the world. We see the marvelous um, uh, time-lapse photography of the growth and the decay over and over and over again. And it's very, very compelling visually. It's, spe it's spectacular and gorgeous. And so we see spectacular and gorgeous uh, with the technology of time lapse, and we hear the words, and um, and I'm saying, oh, this may be true, but you know, I felt like they, were, I felt they were trying really hard to do a cell job to me. Okay, and I guess I'm okay with the cell job. It, it was a very positive mushrooms forward <laughs> story, and I highly recommend it because I think that it's long overdue to have this out of the dirty, judgmental. Um, world that we live in in North America where all these um, healing medicine it's called medicine has been locked up and kept away from us and I truly believe that it's a it's a it's been a it's probably one of the most horrible dangerous things we've ever done mushrooms don't hurt you you take a psychedelic mushroom with a shaman or a guide and there's a huge potential proven that it can help your um feeling for how to go forward and find peace of mind. And you can also do it, you know, science also proves something. I've been meditating since I was about 11 years old. And I've told many, many people, oh, I love meditation. I experience infinity. I, I go to meditation to create artwork, to get storylines, to, to just be calm or, or keep my set point instead of being angry in traffic. It, 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 you know, how it started out for five minutes to meditate looking at a candle, then going through Tibetan or Hindu um, practices to this now. And about 10 years ago, and I knew right away, even as a child, that it was changing my mind. It was changing the way my brain works. It was very apparent to me. That's anecdotal. That's true. That's anecdotal. Then you do it for five years. Then you do it for 10 years. Is it still anecdotal? And you find other people that say the same thing. Is that anecdotal anymore? Or is that storytelling and a testimony and wisdom? Because I think that's what we're messing up here is whether or not people can get together, we need to have the people who are anti-vaxxing, anti-government, anti-cops, pro-cops, pro-vaccines. We almost need like a constant town hall better than Facebook. Facebook has failed that. It looked like a town hall for a bit. But the only oh, way no. I Facebook think Facebook is the worst. It is. The only way I see, and this is also an old school way of doing it, um, that I learned and heard accounts of, anecdotal accounts of problem solving in half a dozen alternative economies, they sit and talk about the problem over and over again. They never stop talking about it. They meet next week. They meet next week. They meet next week. And everyone gets a turn to talk and everybody listens and it doesn't end until everyone goes okay i guess we've dealt with this 
nothing may have changed. Maybe a road wasn't paved, maybe um, a building wasn't built, or maybe it was. But the most important part is that people aren't actually accepting that we have a difference of opinion from each other. And you, it's okay to have a difference of opinion. Even science and even religion are opinions. They're responses to an experience of observation that become opinions. And um, so about 10 years ago, science studied some monks and they said, oh my God, their brains change. So now it's okay to believe that meditation helps improve your brain and your mind. But for 10,000, 5,000 years of practicing meditation, we couldn't believe it until the scientists told us. We had sure, I, I don't disagree with any of that. All, right, I'm saying, that's all, I'm, all saying. I'm saying is that I came into watching this film right, right. with very positive ideas about the healing properties of mushrooms, mm -hmm. um, including the psychedelic properties of mushrooms. And I finished the film feeling that they were trying a little bit too hard to sell these ideas with a set of visuals without enough meat and potatoes to back it up. Um, and so I left the film more doubting things that I was quite positive about prior to the film, as opposed to thinking, wow, yes, that really affirms these things that, that I think I believe. Right. right. I guess for me, the, the most um, compelling testimony in the whole movie was the two cancer patients. Um, yeah, anecdotal. They just felt better about their lives. They felt better about whether they were leaving this planet and they had peace of mind. Um, he talked about the extreme anxiety that he had, which is, um, I remember, remember Alex Trebek talking about that he had extreme anxiety when you realize you've only got a few months to live. And um, the mushrooms didn't keep, the mushrooms in the studies in uh, Michael Pollan's book, they, they, they follow one particular fellow who wrote a diary about his experiences. They never saved his life in terms of how we define reality, in terms of how we define life, but his quality of life, his relationships massively improved, and he had peace of mind. He said he finally started living. In the last 15 months of his life, he said, I, I, I was closer to my son and my family than I had ever been. And that's, how is science going to make that sound better? They're not going to make that sound better. That's not their realm. That's not their expertise. Their expertise is to convince the FDA to fucking fund these programs more. And they, they finally did. These programs have been funded. They've also been running under the table. The, they didn't talk about this in the film, maybe because they didn't want to bring attention to it, or maybe because it's an hour and a half long film. I, I agree. Maybe they could have said, we're still learning about this. I thought that's what they did say. I thought they showed some potential anecdotes, people's experiences, that they had a valuable experience. And I think, I think what we're going to find out is that people who are in a, in a bind that don't feel peace of mind and don't feel good, they're going to go and try and find a therapist that will, that they don't have to be sick for this. Um, they don't have to be physically terminally ill. They may find a guide that will help them um, through. You lie there for about eight hours with a guide, you, you prepare, or five hours, depending on on the medicine that you're you're taking. And yeah, um, I, I think I think the the as I'm thinking about it and we're discussing it, I'm thinking mm -hmm. that probably my my difficulty with it is that the narrator voice, which is the female voice that that mm. we didn't see the person. We God, I didn't even through. remember. I didn't even notice it. That's so funny. Um, um, that voice was the voice of the of the sweeping generalization. Oh, and no, as that we was discussed... the mushrooms talking. That was the mushrooms talking. You mean the mushrooms? No, I mean the narrator. Right, the narrator was playing the role of mushrooms. 
Uh, that's how I took it. She goes, we connect to everybody. And it was always over the, the filming of the mushrooms. That was the voice of the mushrooms speaking. Okay. Um, I don't so, know. I'll go back. So that was, that was, that was the voice. That was the voice of the sweeping generalization. <laughs> yes, yes. And then it had all these other things that supplemented the sweeping generalization. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was trying just, just a little bit too, too hard. I would have, I would have thought the film would have been much more powerful to not make the generalizations, right, right. to show the anecdotes, to show the studies, to show the visuals, and to leave it for the, the listener viewer to, to, to start to put together some conclusions. But by starting with the conclusions, and they were quite heavy-handed, huge generalizations, um, I, I struggled some with that. Oh, that said, I, get it. I am gonna say, watch the film. Yeah. Um, and you can tell us what you thought. Did you think it yeah. was a great film? What did you think was good about it? What did you think wasn't good about it? You can email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. We'd like to know uh, your thoughts about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and I think that that's a personality thing between you and I. We, we do move through the world differently. And um, I think your, your criticism is fair. And um, I don't have as much problem because it was almost like a cooking show for me and you take the information from a cooking show um no one's going to get hurt taking mushrooms they do not hurt you it's recommended that you do it with a guide and yes and um, they did show people in the clinical environment right, with a right. guide yes. holding someone's i think holding yes. someone's hand through absolutely it. And i thought that that was really fabulous because yes. knowing that you're in a safe situation because i think uh, taking things that mess with uh, how your brain function works is is mm -hmm. scary. Mm -hmm. It's very scary. And we don't demand that the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan has any explanation or scientific merit, and we go ahead and make that decision. This is a movie about the healing power of medicine in nature. No one's going to get hurt. No one's going to. It's not reefer madness. It's the opposite. It's the anecdote to reefer madness that fucked everybody up for the last fifty years. And, um, you know, we need to decriminalize all you of mean, drugs. You mean Reefer Madness wasn't a documentary? <laughs> I think it was a documentary. And documentaries are, you know, you talked about the Bourdain. And I've had a bunch of people come back about the Bourdain thing. What they've read about it, they're pretty pissed off that that voice was um, created, put together. Yeah, is that so? Yeah. Yep. I I've heard a lot of negativity. It did not bother me. Um, I... I I, I, I guess I'm a little queasy about the feeling that I guess I wish I'd known that, but it didn't really bother me aesthetically. Yeah, I think it didn't really bother me either. Yeah. I, yeah. I was concerned before I saw it. Right. And then after I saw it, I was like, eh. It's he's fine. reading an email. Like, um, that's friend, right. And it's not like, it's not like you didn't know he's reading an email. They tell you this is an email. Yeah, for sure. So that's good. Um, yeah. Documentaries are, are pretty crazy things because they do tell us about storytelling in a lot of ways. What have you put in? What have you left out? And I, I think you're, your your qualms with it make sense. It is a it is a justified um, criticism, especially if they want to encourage the FDA to fund these programs and let them um, you know de let let people find out how we respond. Now, meanwhile, people are taking SSRIs all the time. What's and an SSRI? It's a, a mood. Um, a brain chemistry like serotonin for um, bipolar or depression and 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 that's okay i 
the confusion I have is when something, the real problem to me, why they don't want to do this is because the argument is if you take mushrooms and you do this, um, this um, session is that you don't need your medication for six months. You have leveled out whatever your um, relationship with is in the world that has given you anxiety or depression. The, the depression is put into context um, through this medicine. And the other medicine is just maintaining. It's just daily. You're taking it every day. And we accept that blindly because science says it's okay. Mm-hmm. Anyways, a great movie. But, yeah, definitely. I highly recommend it. Yeah. Let us know what you think. Definitely. When you were here, yeah. we started watching uh, Ooh, a mini series called yeah. Fatma, a yeah. six a six episode series, Correct. I believe. And we watched a couple episodes, two or three, while you were here. And then we kind of thought, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I know. And we didn't watch it for a while. And then we went back to it. And yeah, we watched, I, I, we watched I'm the rest enjoying of it. it. I still have the last one to watch, but I, I'm enjoying the character. What are you thinking? Well, I mean, what I thought was really interesting is that almost without exception, when we see a film about a serial killer, it's a man. True. Um, and so here is a story about a woman who I can only call her a serial killer. She I don't is. know how many people that she kills before, right. um, uh, before the end of the film, but it's, it's quite a few. <laughs> and she kills them by throwing them in front of a train, by stabbing them repeatedly through the heart right. and head, right. by, um, uh, what else did she do? Uh, uh, she shot somebody. I mean, she uses like she doesn't have like one mo. Uh, mm-hmm. She used whatever uh, whatever was um, available to her, and she was the character is portrayed as an ordinary cleaning lady, right? Right, and right. she's quiet, and she disappears into the fabric of whatever's happening, doing her job, and nobody notices her. Mm-hmm. She offs somebody, and then she walks away from the scene, and nobody suspects the the cleaning lady, and so she becomes like an invisible killer. Right, uh, right. And throughout, she's looking for her husband, and we we find out that her husband uh, went to jail for a crime he did not commit for money. Mm-hmm. And then when he got out of jail, um, we find out that um, he collected the insurance on the death of their kid and then buggered off back to the, the, their home village. It's set in Turkey. Right. And by the way, it's in, and it's in Turkish, dubbed in English. And right. the first couple episodes, that's disconcerting because it uses English colloquialisms and a way of speaking speaking which doesn't quite match what I think the characters should be uh, and so it's a little uh, dubbing is always a bit disconcerting to me it never quite fits but right. it was it actually was pretty darn good in this case yeah. and and I got used to it and I I was fine with it by by the end um, there's multiple stories going on and there's there's stories involving um, this woman Fatma the cleaning lady and her sister she has a sister, a younger sister, and we get glimpses of their past. And what is suggested or inferred is that there was abuse mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when they were children, and the abuse took place at a barn, and it appears that they burnt down the barn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, at the heart of the violence in this person's soul is her past. 
And yes. so he keeps keeps yes. focusing back on the on the past. And then um, in the present, all I could say is, you don't mess with Fatma. <laughs> no, you no, just you do don't not mess, mess with her. With her. No, She's no. so quiet, but but so suddenly violent. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, that's definitely genre bending because it is a serial killer story and it's told in a fairly, we're meant to sympathize with her because we follow every detail about her and we gaze on her face over and over again. And um, then we're surprised by her power. And it's a different thing, almost like when, you know, we've got a lot of studies and, and observations going on right now about the difference between how... Um, gender reacts to things and we're we've got the stereotype of how you profile a serial killer and we need different profiling for this woman because I, no one could tell that she was you wouldn't That's think right. she was at all um she could definitely i mean short of um forensics she could definitely keep going with it you know over and over again yes now there's another character in this story which is intriguing and weird and kind of unresolved and that's the character of the author. And the author is one of her cleaning clients. She has a job working for the author. And the author is writing a book called, what is it called? Fatma. And she writes a book about this woman who really becomes a serial killer. And at one point, I started to ask myself, well, and Sheila and I talked about it as well. Well, does Fatma exist? Or is this the author's story about right. a character named Fatma? And right. the, the character finishes the book and takes it to the publishers. And the publishers say, this is a very interesting story. <laughs> Which is pretty fascinating. Um, and you're asking yourself the question, well, is the story we're watching the story that he wrote? Or is it the story of someone mm, named Fatma mm. who works for an author who's mm. writing a book about her. Right. Right. And I'm not sure that it's really resolved yeah. um, in, in it, but it's, it's fascinating. Uh, it's also the, the series is just beautifully shot. Cool. It's yeah, it's gorgeous looking. It's very gorgeous. And, and, um, and yeah, she is so sympathetic to the camera. Mm -hmm. Um, She's very, she dresses very plain with a babushka on her head, mm -hmm. um, but she has the most amazing expressions. She does, and she's quite beautiful, and yeah, you really can get in, involved with her. Um, I really, I, I'm enjoying it, and I recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just leaving yeah, it at that and recommend it's it too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an odd one. Yep. Um, I've been watching, I, I watched a lot of stuff. Stag and I did a deep dive into Mulholland Drive. We have questions that we printed out that were clues given by David Lynch, apparently. And we, we each photocopied that list and we wrote it down and, and we tried to find the answers in it. And I have not watched it for a long, long time. And wow. It, did, you, the, did, did you think the clues were a good idea? I think they're hilarious. I yeah. really enjoy them and they're pretty funny. Usually all he ever gives anybody is that David Lynch is an Eagle Scout was an Eagle Scout. He usually doesn't, he does not talk about his films. The clues, I don't, I don't know. Um, they just I'm, made it extra fun to watch it again because I don't know if you, if you do many deep dives in movies. I write a lot of notes. I write down license plates, colors of clothing. I mean, I go nuts. This was just a really fun new way to do it. And um, I had already noticed a lot of those things. It, it didn't change my feeling about the film and it's what its purpose was. 
what was interesting to me beyond those notes was that after Weinstein, it was a lot of fun to watch this movie. Um, because in the movie, you could, you could be a painter, you could be a musician. In this case, he had an actor. And basically how Hollywood corrupts, and it's disgusting, and it's run by mafia. And he literally has mafia-type characters um, making all the artistic decisions, right down to casting on, on film directors. And um, it's a pretty brutal analysis of the art world and making art in our society. My analysis has always been that it was a dream sequence. Most of the movie was um, her mind. There's a lot of references to unconsciousness. And um, it was a lot of fun to watch it again, and we had a blast. Okay. Well, I have not seen that film in a long time. Nor I. Um, I, you know, as a painter, the last thing I would do would be to try to explain my paintings to anybody or right. to offer clues to my paintings. Mm -hmm. And so being having developed some cynicism over my years on this planet no. um, a little bit <laughs> uh, i i tend to be distrustful when uh when writers do something like that um is it desperation that god damn it no one's getting me i'm no. so misunderstood no, no, i have to no. give them clues no no i don't think so at all i think it was pure fun pure fun and right does it, fun does is it, good yeah, I think it's pure fun. Listen to the questions. I mean, there are things like pay particular attention to the beginning of the film. At least two clues are revealed before the credits. Well, before the credits, there's like six things. Um, who gives a key and why? Notice the robe, the ashtray, the coffee cup. That sort of helps you. I mean, really, it's not that helpful because you know that there's something wrong. There's something very different about the nature of time because we are traveling through um, the nature of reality in David Lynch. He always has cast the nature of reality in all of his work. And so it is like taking mushrooms. It is like taking LSD. He's so creative and able to give you that sense of the unconsciousness. And he can trigger the fears we have of knowing ourselves or knowing other people. And you know, there's that whole stereotype of like, oh my God, if there's a secret hidden there, like Fatima, we find out her secret history and why she became the way she is. There's a love, hate, fear, pleasure in knowing all that. I mean, the, you're only as sick as your secrets. So, so knowing those um, unconscious secrets can get you out of it. It can also be overplayed. Um, definitely most people would say don't overanalyze the Mulholland Drive. You don't have to. It's all there. Um, the BFI had called it the top. It had been chosen as the top number one film of the century. So that's why we went to revisit it. What's a BFI? at British Film Institute. Oh, okay. And um, I think that um, oh, they I, had I, a number. I, I heard that. I think you mentioned that to yeah, me. Yeah, I, I did thought a that couple was of, interesting. Yeah, because, I did too. Because I have to say that I, I watched the film and and left it with a shrug of my shoulders. Yeah, that's yeah. all right. Yeah. It just it didn't grab my attention. It didn't capture my imagination. I didn't think it was a great film. I didn't think it was anything like his best films. And I understand that you and lots of other people would look at me and say, do you see the same film no, as me? our tastes are different. Tastes are different, yeah. you know? And the things that we're looking for in, in art are different. I yes. am always wanting to look for what's, what's the human condition? What's the nature of reality? Is there life and death? I need those things in my, in my art. And I prefer interspe interspecies in my art, too. So those are things, as those are bonus. specific things that <laughs> I like in, yeah, in, 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 a, in a painting or music or in film.
I like those elements. I want the, the you know, the to be or not to be. <laughs> and I think the portrayal of women in our society is brilliant in Mulholland Drive and um, the art and, and how they're treated. And um, that there really isn't a, a hope in hell. You really have to be driven yourself to, uh, to get artwork done. We, I also watched something on Netflix called Inside. And it's with comedian musician Bo Burnham. And he basically films it in a little guest room uh, during the pandemic. And so funny to talk about the unconsciousness because inside could refer to the inside of his head or the inside of this uh, that he has to stay inside because of the pandemic. And it's a comedy drama. And I had some problems with it at first because I'm still angry at this actor for his role in Promising Young Women. <laughs> You're angry at the actor. Oh, totally. It's like, have you ever had a dream about somebody and they've done something to piss you off in your dream and when you wake up, you're kind of still mad at them? And then you go, that was a dream. It didn't really right. happen. Yeah. So he plays the boyfriend or the date in Promising Young Women. And he's actually probably one of the better male characters in that film, but I'm still angry at him. <laughs> so here he was, and he's quite a compelling, he's a YouTuber, a musician, um, and, and a, a stand-up comic. And he's extremely talented. So he talks into the camera and writes songs during the pandemic. I cannot recommend it for everyone. It's kind of depressing. But I also laughed out loud a number of times because he had some songs. Like one of his songs was FaceTime with my bartender. Another one was a white woman's Instagram. And another one was unpaid intern. <laughs> they were very funny songs. And a couple of them even made like videos. In the small space he had, he works wonders with a slide projector. <laughs> so there was a lot of humor. There was a warning about language and suicide. And immediately I was like, I better not watch this right now. But the suicide part, I had trouble. There was two references to suicide. At the beginning, he said, I'm making this because otherwise, so I don't shoot myself in the head. And I was like, well, I guess that could be um, an exaggeration. But he did seem to really have some um, serious depression and and coping problems and challenges from the pandemic that were things I could really relate to. Um, at the end, he comes out of the, the, you know, he does reconcile the fact that he seems to have adjusted. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. However, he was also in the guest house of his home he owns in Los Angeles. So if he was suffering from the pandemic, that he had everything that you could think probably has a swimming pool, it begs me to think about all the people who had so much less and how we cope through this. Sure. You know, um, yeah. I think it was really worthwhile. If you like musicals and you like music and songwriting, I would watch it. Uh, there were a couple of difficult parts that I can't really talk about. I, I don't want to give it away. Um, but I think he did a great job and it's a very compelling thing. It's on Netflix and it was really good. I also okay. saw Jungle Cruise. Jungle Cruise. I went What's to the that? movie. I went to the movie theater. It's a Disney movie. So after my, you know, I've watched a lot of depressing things through the pandemic, Eugene. Um, I watched Unsane. I watched some horror movies. I watched some scary uh, psychological dramas. And I would include Mulholland Drive in that. <laughs> so I really wanted something that was totally going to be fun and a little bit of adventure. So it's a Disney movie with The Rock and Emma Blunt, two people I find completely compelling. I love their acting and performances. And it ties into our wrestling. We had a lot of comments on Facebook and Instagram when I posted pictures of um, 
wrestlers that had moved into the movie yes. business and everybody's mad that I didn't put the rock on there. So I will post a picture of the rock and I saw his movie and it, he was really good. It's a movie I would say geared towards aimed at a five to 10 year olds are going to love this movie. I think a family with some kids are going to have a great day at the movie theater. Um, I give it eight out of 10 for kids movie and I'm not the one to really judge that. We should have a kid judge it. But um, I used to love Jeff Prevere. He used to do CTV and movie reviews. Mm -hmm. And when it came to kids' movies, he always brought his daughter out to give a review. And it was awesome. Because That's she wasn't idea. cynical. Yeah. So I was busy this week. I've been busy since I saw you. Well, you're a, you're a busy person. I know. On the go. An agent the, on the go. Agent on the go, uh, devouring lots of popular culture. I, I'm looking at my notes here in case I forgot something. No, I think I covered it. All right. Well, I'm going to take uh, George in for a blood test. Sounds great. I'm he's, sorry uh, to hear that. I hope he's okay. Well, I, I hope he's okay too. Um, he had a he had a regular blood test, which was like a wellness sort of okay. thing, because he's eight, which is getting old for yeah. for noobs. Yeah. And one of his values is low, and it's a value that suggests that he may have. Um, a thyroid issue, oh which is curious enough because we have a cat now with a thyroid issue. So wow. I'm sticking pills down the throat of this cat, wow. uh, Shadow, uh, or we call him the old man. Yeah, and yeah. now uh, George is getting a secondary test to, to confirm or cool. not confirm the results okay. because we don't want to start giving him um, uh, a medication that he doesn't need. Right, so right, uh, he has right. to get that. They, they didn't have enough blood to do the second test at the lab. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we have to get more blood this afternoon. Right, right, right. So we're going to do that, and we're going to be back at you next week. Be sure to email us your thoughts at theagency.podcast.gmail.com. Right. I'm hoping um, – oh, God, I was going to do a shout-out to people on the West Coast in Canada. I forgot. I want to say hi to Juan Knight. I want to say hi to Jenny. I want to say hi to Monica, um, Allie. And I know I have some other people. I want to say hi to Shauna on Instagram, a buddy that follows us on Instagram. We really appreciate you. And um, we'll see you next week. Yeah, you're right. We got a book. Right. We got book assignments. <laughs> we do. We've got homework. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Right. Bye.